the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into our two, Monday, January 25th, 2021. It's great to um, reconnect with our good friend Brandon Weikert, publisher of the Weikert Report. Uh, was uh, We didn't have him last Monday because of uh, Martin Luther King uh, Day. Boy, seems like it was more more like 10 years ago than a week ago. Things are moving so fast. He is also, of course, uh, the author of uh, the great book from last year, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. And he's been writing on a, a few important things here from not only space, but also a really strong column on Joe Biden's rejoining the Paris, uh, the Paris Climate Accords. And uh, he is revisiting for us, uh, the true origins of COVID-19. Brandon, good to talk to you. Thanks for uh, rejoining us. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, it's nice to be back. Yeah, you betcha. You betcha. I want to start with COVID. I, I was talking a fair amount about it in the last segment because it's it's interesting how things are changing in, a, in, an, in an ironic way in some respects, where certain states that are seeing rising cases are, are now beginning to liberalize some of the uh, some of the uh, shutdowns that they've been engaged in, most particularly California, New York, but it gives us uh, it gives us an opportunity to look at something you were talking about. I think with John Batchelor, if I'm not mistaken, about the true origins of COVID nineteen. I, I yeah. just wonder if we're not gonna, I don't know, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, if anyone on any level of this is going to have any accountability. I just don't know. I doubt it. The way things are looking, I just tend to doubt it, and that not only includes American leaders, but Chinese, the Chinese, the Chinese right. government. And um, tell us what you told John about the true origins of COVID nineteen, if you don't mind. Sure, no problem. Um, basically, there, as you know, there's been a big question mark around the origins of the COVID nineteen disease. Um, there, there were real questions being raised early last year as the disease propagated, and then all of it seemed to kind of disappear. And then, and I, I experienced this firsthand. Um, you know, people both in the medical community, uh, in terms of the policy policy side, and then the military policy people, and even the political establishment, both parties, including Trump, uh, stopped wanting to talk about the claims that. COVID-19 may have leaked from a uh, virology lab in uh, last uh, about a year ago, uh, and that the the COVID-19 strain was not actually a naturally occurring phenomenon. And um, what came out the last week of the Trump administration, and why they didn't do this earlier, is frankly disgusting. Uh, they Secretary Pompeo authorized. Uh, a bullet point list of all the things uh, that might explain why and how COVID came from a lab and was not a naturally occurring phenomenon. Uh, and then sort of this, this rush 
uh, started, not just in the United States, to try to answer some of these, these issues that were raised by the Trump administration as it was leaving, uh, but also the World Health Organization, which is notoriously pro-China. Um, in fact, now that the United States had, for the last year, pulled out of the WHO, the WHO had basically become an extension of the Chinese uh, Communist Party because the Chinese were the largest funder of it. Uh, but even the WHO, China-friendly as it is, they were the ones getting angry that Beijing was not allowing WHO investigators into Wuhan, as they had promised to do. Now, mind you, originally it was supposed to be WHO investigators were supposed to be let into Wuhan a year ago, but they signed a deal uh, with Beijing that would basically allow for the, the Beijing to, to delay the entrance of those uh, investigators. But now they need to get in there because part of figuring out how to cure a disease, a pandemic event, is you have to actually go to the source uh, and you have to sort of talk to the initial wave of people who were infected and you have to also get original samples. And as it turns out, China does not want to let investigators in, not just American, but World Health Organization investigators. And that, to me, spells a cover-up. And so what I talked to John about last week, and, and this was in response to Secretary Pompeo, uh, what he released was, was basically the, all the evidence that I and others like Bill Gertz, uh, uh, Steve Mosher, as well as a, a slew of other people who will not go on record, but I know from the Pentagon, uh, who are in biodefense, who do not buy the official narrative. And basically, you know, explaining how um, COVID-19 may have been what's known as a gain-of-function test, and it actually may have begun uh, as an NIH, National Institute of Health-funded uh, gain-of-function test in, in 2014 and 15 that was partnered with UNC, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And when Francis Collins, the head of NIH, shut the program down because he said if this thing got out of the lab, we wouldn't be able to contain it, UNC Chapel Hill, which had already inked a deal for research and development to be done in Wuhan, just, it's believed, may have moved that research from America to Wuhan so that it could be continued there. And we see this, a wider pattern, happening uh, in the biotech field where American universities and, and biotech firms, because of the regulations being so high here in the United States and overall in the West to do experimental research and development in the biotech field, they'll move the actual R&D over to China, which does not have the same level of standards or safety protocol. And so that's, that's, that is a theory that's been out there. I personally am leaning in that direction. Uh, obviously, it hasn't been proven, but Pompeo's release of that information as they were leaving the, the White, as the White House was changing over from Trump to Biden, and the fact that the WHO still has not been let in, and the WHO is actually being very critical, finally, of Beijing because of this, indicates that there's more to this story than we're willing, than the government, our government, is willing to talk about. Branton, are we pretty sure that the original narrative about wet markets is not true? Well, again, no one will come out officially and say anything countering the narrative, and that's largely twofold why they're not doing that. By the well, way, let me ask, uh, as you get into the twofolds of that, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chi it's China's interest to have that be the narrative, correct? Absolutely. Okay, okay. Absolutely. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. I just um, wanted to clarify. That's fine. It's actually threefold. The, the first reason is until we get actual original genetic samples of the COVID-19 strain, 
We will never be able to know for sure, and I'm convinced China's already destroyed those. The second point is the reason that we wouldn't want to we wouldn't want to press China on this is because militarily, and I've spoken to many people at the Pentagon about this off the record. The, the military, our military, is no longer sanguine about the being able to take on China militarily. And the third point is that there's so much cross investment now between American biotech and the investing community here and with R&D going on in China, that it is not financially or scientifically lucrative for us to accuse China of potentially being, uh, potentially having created this in a lab and either accidentally or intentionally releasing it from a lab. And so those three factors are working against people like myself who, at the very least, just want to know the truth. Um, maybe we don't have to retaliate. Maybe it was a true accident, but we want to know the truth. And um, it's not getting out, and I, I don't think it'll ever get out, especially with the Biden administration now. Um, but um, that, that, that's what's going on with COVID, and that's what I was talking to John about. We're talking to Brandon Weicker. Brandon, you know, one of the odd things about about our, what's the word I want to use, contest with or against China, um, is that, you know, the parallels to what we did in the long twilight struggle with the Soviet Union, they just don't exist, right? Because because we didn't have American business or other educational institutions, a little, but not in the sense that we have them now. And we didn't have corporate interests in the Soviet Union that were under, that American corporate interests in the Soviet Union that were vested in undermining the American cause, right? It's a very different odd kind of cold is it a cold war with china that we're engaged in i don't know i do know that the only parallel i seem to we're going into a break maybe you can talk about this when we come back the only real parallel i can find is that until mm, mid to late 70s it was a it was a bipartisan effort in america and then after the late 70s it again was one party taking it seemingly more seriously than the other. But other than that, it seems like it does seem like we just had no kind of interest, no academic interest, no corporate interest, no financial interest in the Soviet Union that continually undermined our efforts the way we seem to have with China. Now, can you talk about either the right, the rightness or wrongness of that observation when we come back and, and the challenge it may sure. present going forward. We'll be right sure. back with, thank you, we'll be right back with more from Brandon Weikert, publisher of the Weikert Report. You can get that free online and author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Be right back. Looks like we're in that territory of Bob Dylan covers. We had a share cover of one of his songs earlier. There's a Johnny Cash cover of a Bob Dylan. We need covers of Bob Dylan so that we can understand the lyrics. Uh, but, you know, these who, who doesn't want to hear Johnny Cash? Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest every Monday in our second hour talking uh, geopolitics and American politics, too. Domestic politics as well. Brandon, covering China, talking about the China situation into the break, I was... Talking about the challenges um, we face as a as a country geopolitically against China, and how you know as hard as it was fighting 
the long twilight struggle against the Soviet Union, it didn't seem like we had institutional, corporate and academic interests that were, uh, shall we say, on the side of the enemy in uh, and during the Cold War. I mean, you know, there was spy, spy rings here and there, but not, not institutionally the way we have vested interests and dependencies on China now. It makes things, at least from my perspective, all the more challenging, not only in fighting it, but even educating people about the fight. Can you address this? Do, am I making any sense whatsoever? No, you're, you're making perfect sense. Um, and uh, th- this is the issue uh, that we're, we're facing with China as opposed to the Soviet Union. China's threat right now isn't even military. That will come later. The real threat right now is how enmeshed they are in our economy, in our uh, media space, uh, in our culture. Um, I mean, Richard Gere can't find a job uh, in Hollywood because he's anti-China. He's, uh, he's so pro-Tali Lama. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because of his outspokenness yeah. on the uh, for the people of Tibet, huh? That's right. I Tibet, had no idea. Right. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, no, he can't find a job. I mean, that's why you haven't seen him. I mean, and then remember, he did that movie uh, in 2000 or 1999 about where he's wrongly accused in communist China. Yeah. I'm forgetting the name now. Yeah. But, I mean, he's he is – and the, the reason is because the studios don't want to go near anything or anyone that is too hardline against China because it's a huge market they're trying to tap into. I had furthermore, no idea. Well, furthermore, just remember also that uh, the remake of Red Dawn, which I think would have been much better than it was had they not gone in after they already filmed the movie and they had to basically reshoot two-thirds of it because somebody complained that the enemy was China, the, the one invading the United States in that movie as opposed to the Soviet Union, was China, and they said it would offend the Chinese, so they made them North Koreans, as if the North Koreans would ever be able to invade the United States. And so uh, they did that, though, to satisfy Chinese no investors. No kidding. And get, get, yes. And so... The idea that we're in a Cold War, well, we are, but we've already kind of lost. And, uh, you know, I said this to you last year after, you know, toward the end of the year, it looks like I think we are actually living in the Chinese century. Um, China's not going away. And so far, uh, we have not risen to the challenge as we did uh, in 1947 when we created the National Security Act and then we ended up doing – uh, you know, the, the Marshall Plan, helping the Greeks out, resist the communist infiltration there. Sort of these big moves of, of, of the old ways of doing things to fight uh, an enemy, we're not doing them now. We're sort of asleep at the switch. And at some point, we're going to reach the point of no return where even if we do wake up, but maybe we're already there, even if we did wake up, it'll be too late because China is absorbing all of the money flows. They're absorbing a lot of the technological innovation. They're doing it there. They're not just imitators anymore. Uh, and we've left them. I mean, the whole thing is we opened that can of worms, and we can't put them back in the can now. And, um, you know, meanwhile, they're sapping our strength. They're stymieing us. They've, you know, enraptured at least, uh, you know, half of our political class. Like you said, they've gotten half of our most of our corporate class, and so all the elites who should be able to lead us in a resistance against China, they're, they're, not, they're not paying attention because they're all getting rich off of China. Why would they want to kill their cash cow? I want to return to that, but let me go to the delicate issue. Uh, you said we're not there militarily yet. 
because it does seem that China kind of tests new presidents. I remember when they tested George W. Bush early on with the seizure of yes, uh, with the, yeah, the, the E3 spy plane. Exactly. Yeah. And that seemed to work out almost magically. But the latest is that China is moving <laughs> warplanes. You can address that too. Yeah, China is addre- yeah. is is um, is sending warplanes uh, into uh, into Tai Taiwan space right right now. Yes, yes. As a te- and, as a uh, test of Joe Biden, I think. I think. As a test of Joe Biden, but also uh, look in, in another decade. I would say in probably five years, actually, um, they will be at parity with us. Right now, they're almost there. Um, they really don't want to fight a war with us yet, but I think they think they. I think they're detecting on our end weakness because of all the stupid division in our country. Uh, they think we're too distracted, and they might get a lucky one in. And so, one of these times, the overflights of Taiwan are not just going to be overflights. Yeah. I would remind your audience: a month ago, the largest joint Chinese-Russian. Uh, naval and air exercise was conducted that purposely and wantonly violated South Korean airspace. The Russians are fully enraptured by the Chinese, partly because of our policy of pushing them away, which is why Biden quietly supporting Navalny is probably not the best idea. Although maybe we don't have a choice now. Uh, but And then also the, the issue of standing up to China. It's true. They always test new American presidents. And in my summation, Every single American president has failed. George W. Bush ultimately ended up kowtowing the Chinese. The Chinese held our people for 12 days. They ended up cutting up that plane uh, and making the Russians send it back to us in pieces as a final act of humiliation. Um, What we should have done at that point is probably bombed Henan Island. Uh, But we didn't do that. And now the Chinese are, are catching up. And by the way, the, 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 the Biden administration does not seem to think China is as big of a threat as the Russians. I can tell you I'm up here in D.C. right now. All of the input requests from me have been about Russia, not about China. Now, what is that about? Ago, what, why? It, it, it seems like to the it's a weird inversion of Nancy Pelosi's the, the phrase, Democrats, but it seems like all Demo- roads lead to Russia for the Democrats. They, the Democrats are convinced they really believe this that the Republicans and Trump conspired with Putin to, to make Hillary lose. And, and there's also a real threat there where for the last year and a half or the last year, for whatever reason, the Trump administration did not respond to the solar winds cyber espionage attack. And so we, the Democrats want to get revenge for that. But there is also the political angle that the, a lot of Democrats in office today genuinely think Trump was a Putin stooge. And so they want to get revenge. And this thing with Navalny, I am convinced, is a Western operation. We're backing him at the intelligence level, at the NGO level, and we're trying to overthrow Putin. I think it's going to blow up in our faces in a big way. I, and, you know, democracy doesn't work in Russia. I don't like Putin, but I don't know if Navalny is going to be the guy that, that can save the day. And even if he is, it's going to be chaos over there with all those nukes. We should not be involved. But the Democrats and Biden want revenge. They really think that Russia tried to overthrow our election. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This idea fix. Um, Brandon, we've got to take a break. I want to do a little bit of um, the Paris uh, Climate Accords, too, when we come back. Can we talk a little bit about that? And we'll circle back on Russia, China and everything else as well. We'll be right back with more from Brandon Weikert, publisher of the Weikert Report. W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T is how he spells his last name. Author of Winning Space. Be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us, geopolitical strategist and analyst, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. And um, did a good podcast on that, <coughs> actually, recently, Who Commands Space, Commands the World. We'll get to that, too. I think we'll have time, oh, to. Yeah, you bet. But first, talk to me about um, the United States, uh, the Biden administration, the mistake of rejoining the Paris Climate Accord. Well, on its on its you know face, it's a bad idea because um, it ham- needlessly hamstrings the United States and its ability to produce uh, affordable energy uh, that's wide widely available for you know anyone in the United States. Uh, it hamstrings that in favor of these as yet to be built out and fully developed alternative energies. And as I highlight in my piece at the Weikert Report, uh, you know, how Biden can address global warming without killing the U.S. economy, uh, you know, I'm, I realize I'm in the minority on this one, but I, I, on our side, I, I happen to believe that uh, anthropogenic climate change is real, that it's happening. We probably play a role. We can also do things to help ameliorate it. But what we have to do is not punish ordinary consumers. We don't have to punish anyone. We all took made decisions that got us to this point. Uh, instead, what we have to do is innovate new technology. And uh, the Green New Deal is not the way forward. Neither is the Paris Climate Accord, because both are punitive in that they try to punish the United States and average Americans for simply consuming energy, which we all need to do in order to live our lives. And then it also tries to get us to, to become reliant on technology like wind or uh, uh, terrestrial solar power that in no way could ever possibly replace the cheaply produced fossil fuel. And in the article at my website, I detail, uh, you know, the, the damage that this will do. We already know, for instance, in the Nordic countries in Europe where they've embraced wind, uh, even though wind is in abundance there, uh, they, they basically have hugely expensive energy bills for their ordinary average uh, energy consumers because it's just it, can, it can't it cannot replace uh, cheap uh, fossil fuels and also the uh, the intermittency problem basically wind and traditional solar power suffer uh, outages because there's not always wind and there's not always sunlight and so and then with sunlight there's with solar there are issues with the batteries so the batteries are never big enough and can never hold the charge long enough to continuously supply human civilization, particularly American civilization, the way that we would need it to in order for it to be economical and efficient. And so what I I go through in my piece is that, you know, the Paris Climate Accord, not only does it punish the United States and its Western allies, even though we are far cleaner than China or India or Brazil or any of these other huge emitters of carbon, methane, uh, 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 and the other greenhouse gases. Um, but basically, the, the, the Paris Climate Agreement also implicitly gives a pass to countries like China. I was just going to say back to China again and, and the payoffs yes. to China, yeah. Yes, and it, and it lets them emit these greenhouse gases, which are noxious, and lets them emit it without any kind of slap on the wrist. What it says is basically, oh, don't worry, the Americans and Europeans will, will impose harsher restrictions on themselves so that you can continue to develop a pace. And the Americans, because of colonialism or, you know, some past 
thin. We don't deserve to, to keep developing. We'll let you catch up, China. And the Chinese smile and say, okay. But as I note in the article, it's very telling that Xi Jinping has expressly said that pollution is a problem, global warming is a threat to China, and that he wants to take steps to ameliorate that. But notice that he is not advocating for ending coal burning or ending natural gas or ending uh, oil consumption and production. What he's saying is, what I'm saying also, he's saying, hey, China, we have this great innovation hub now because the Americans and Westerners have been sending the, the capabilities over to us. Let's now use that to out-innovate the West and create nuclear fusion and Perfect. invest in nuclear fission Perfect. and invest in, in uh, space-based solar power, which is infinitely more uh, uh, attractive. Yeah. And also Everything we should be doing, you know. Yes. Let's let's yes. pick up on that. This short segment. You're you're good for the rest of the hour, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You you, you kind of we just I, I imagine your calendar on your Mac every Monday. You just have it blocked out. <laughs> Seth Liebson shows. I do. So, yeah, good. <laughs> From now until infinity, or until <laughs> or until our natural end. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Talking, speaking with uh, Brandon Weikert, publisher of the Weikert Report, geopolitical analyst and expert, uh, author of Winning Space. Brandon, right before the break, you were talking about in in dealing with uh, the Paris Climate Accords, China is probably going to avail itself of the very kinds of things we should be availing ourselves of. Um, and that, in fact, includes space and I think you right. would. This would be a good segue for you to kind of talk about what some of that is, uh, including um, I- including what the role of you know what the role of space should be in the next few years. Well, yeah, uh, the role of space is, should be paramount. Um, it is uh, the ultimate strategic high ground. Not only do we, you know, basically every aspect of civilization in the United States relies on satellites to function, uh, which are very vulnerable to disruption, as we've spoken about before. Uh, but also there is, as technology has increased, uh, the, their capabilities have increased, there, there's now a real push to get human beings into space permanently beyond just the space station and low-Earth orbit. Um, and China has a very carefully tailored strategy of ends, ways, and means to uh, not just get their people to the moon and to colonize the moon, but to colonize the moon for very economical reasons. They want to harvest the rare earth minerals that are all over the moon. We need rare earth minerals to build out modern technology, everything from your iPhone to a laptop to the televisions we watch. Everything needs rare earth minerals to be built. Anything, any technology developed after the 1970s, you got to have rare earths. The Chinese have been obsessed with trying to dominate the rare earth market. Uh, they just, in the last few months, made another big push for that. Uh, and conquering space would allow for them to have basically a limitless supply and possibly a monopoly uh, in terms of the access uh, to those rare earth minerals. Uh, we talked about nuclear fusion in the previous segment as a solution to global warming. And uh, right now, China has, if not the, it was the hottest burning tokamak 
reactor for nuclear fusion. It might not be the number two behind South Korea. But the point is, China is heavily invested in what we would call alternative energy. Now, here we're not allowed to talk about that because our political discourse is so stupid that you're either a believer in global warming or a denier. Well, in China, they don't have that problem. They look at it as pollution and, and, and global warming is going to be a long-term economic uh, 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 disruptor, and they need to get ahead of that to keep their economic growth going, to keep the Chinese Communist Party in power. And so they're looking at nuclear fusion. They need helium-3 on the moon, which is an isotope found on atmosphere-less planets and moons. Uh, they need that H3 to use in the reaction needed to get nuclear fusion going. Right now we rely on deuterium-tritium, but they don't. that's not a very good or uh, financially sound uh, thing to use. So they're looking at using helium-3 coupled, I think, with deuterium, uh, which would potentially allow for sustainable, uh, almost limitless, uh, energy production for a society like China that's developing into a highly advanced one. Uh, they're also wanting to get to Mars before we can. Not only is that a prestige thing, but as Yi Pijian, the head of lunar, uh, China's lunar program, said, China views the moon as the South China Sea, and that should get your alarm bells ringing, no. given what, what no. the Chinese are doing there. Right. And they view they view uh, uh, the Mars as the East China Sea, which mm-hmm. they are currently in a long-running dispute with Japan over the Senkaku Islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mars is the gateway to the wider uh, solar system, especially as a base for getting those asteroids, which have a lot of natural resources that they could mine and sell back on Earth. Um, and so this is why they want space. And then there's also, of course, it's the high ground, so they could get weapons systems in orbit and they can get weapons system on, on the moon and, and use that to hold the world hostage. But the real issue is economic. They want to get there for economic reasons. And they think the Americans are not paying attention and they're going to be able to get first mover advantage on us. I think they will. And at that point, that's it. And that's why space is so important, because also the more you do things in space, the more advanced technology and capabilities you innovate. Just look at what happened after the 1970s Apollo moon mission. We threw all that money into the Apollo program, and we got a bunch of spinoff technology. It was this massive explosion. And the logic in China is if they can replicate that but sustain it, uh, they will be able to be the dominant power for the next forever. And the Americans are are not only going to be playing catch-up, but they'll never be able to catch-up. Right. That's what I wanted to turn to. You anticipated my question because you were talking oh, in good. this podcast recently um, on geopolitics and empire about the dire need for America to revive its space effort. Um, we did a great thing, not well enough lo- known to the degree it's known we can thank you Um, about the Space Force that was created under the Trump administration. But the interest in what? The interest in in building off on that seems seems to be waning a little bit here, doesn't it? Yeah, so it's mixed messaging where, you know, I I, I actually, uh, (laughs) I actually, oddly enough, had a long conversation with a Kamala Harris advisor about sovereignty in space. Uh Uh-huh. Um, but um, there, there is an interest in this new administration to do space. But in the beginning of the Biden, or in the, in, in the, after they, they won the election, 
They, you know, Biden and his team have said we're not planning to do anything with Space Force right now in terms of cutting it or, or hurting it. Um, but now I'm hearing that actually that's changing, that the radical left, because Orange Man is always bad, they, they not only do they want to change the name of Space Force, but they want to retailer its mission to be more Earth-focused, to be, you know, an augmentation of their, you know, of global warming prevention and all that. And so they want to basically change the entire mission parameter. I mean, Space Force was initially created, and I know because I was part of this, was created to protect our satellites. And now they're talking about, you know, having it be this thing that's helping to fight global warming and blah, blah, blah. And so it sounds like because Donald Trump is the father of Space Force, they're trying to figure out ways, if not to outright kill it, then to certainly weaken and diminish it so that, Donald Trump's pet project will never get the the due that it is owed, which is that this thing could potentially protect us from a space Pearl Harbor. I would remind the audience, and, and this is a failing of Trump's, that apparently for the last year, eight attacks by the Russians on our satellites have been conducted in space. I just recently found out about mm. that. And the Trump administration did not respond. Mm. And um, now what they did do was create these new... Uh, uh, better satellites that can survive an attack better, and they're trying to get they were trying to get them put so into orbit. So they've been hardened the problem, in a sense, yeah. Right, but the fact is, we need space force at the very least to protect those satellites because if we lose those satellites, we're deaf, dumb, and blind, and then we can get beaten in, at land, in sea, in the air, in cyberspace. Yeah, Brandon, gosh, what a great tour. Um, I'm sorry uh, we missed you last week. But thank uh, you for doing. Okay. Yeah, no, thanks for doing it this week with us. And again, folks, uh, the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com is his website. His book, Winning Space, goes into all of that, which he just spoke about. Brandon, until next week, thank you, sir. Thank you. Bless you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Eastman is someone I have known for many, many, many years, senior legal. Uh, counsel, uh, director of constitutional studies at the Claremont Institute, um, and um, one of the um, nation's more prominent conservative legal scholars, definitively conservative, no question about that. He used to be on a regular on a regular segment of the Hugh Hewitt show that Hugh called the Smart Guys, where John Eastman would debate Erwin Chemerinsky, who is one of the more prominent liberal constitutional law scholars in the country. And John Eastman was involved in um, representing some of the president's legal case post-election, and he spoke for a total of something like three minutes at the January 6th uh, rally, right uh, right after Rudy Giuliani. You can see it on C-SPAN. He had been invited by the Federalist Society at ASU to give a talk on, uh, pres- on uh, executive power, executive authority. In the pandemic, that was the issue he was invited to speak on uh, today, actually, uh, to the Federalist Society at ASU. Nothing having to do with the election. And yet, and yet, the calls to cancel this have created a tornado at ASU. Indeed, the the dean of the law school at ASU wrote a public letter saying, while we respect our students' First Amendment right to host events like this, we believe Mr. Eastman is beneath the standards of ASU law. I don't know how many times John Eastman has testified before Congress 
more than we can either count probably. I don't know how many cases in front of the Supreme Court he's been a part of. The idea that he's beneath the standards of ASU law are, are not credible. Um, the next sentence, we condemn his involvement in the recent events at the Capitol and his inflammatory statements about the presidential election. Folks, go watch this. Go to C-SPAN. Watch what John Eastman said. My gosh, my golly, what they have done with what is regular form of speech, protest, conservative speech. John didn't say anything more radical than what AOC or Ilan Omar or, for that matter, Chuck Schumer says five and ten times a day or at any given political rally. Really, really. It goes on and on, um, this letter saying that John Eastman has selfishly himself chosen not to cancel the event. I've never seen a call out by a law, law dean, a law school dean of an invited speaker to the, um, to the campus before. John Eastman will be with us at the top of the hour from Claremont. I'm Seth Leibson. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.